I am happy to be here. I always get a warm welcome. Our family is always well loved by you, so thank you for that. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15. Before we begin, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for El Grove Bible Church. Lord, thank you for their love. Thank you for who they are. Thank you, Lord, that they are loved by you, Lord, and not as evident as they love us through you. Lord, I thank you so much for this family. I pray that you would bless this food now before us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to feast together, help us to to share and break the holy bread together. Lord, I pray that you would bless it, that you would cater it, that you would host it. I pray that you would be here and preach through me, for me, Lord. I pray that you would bless the sermon, bless the hearers, those who have ears to hear, Lord. I pray, bless our time together. Amen. There once was a man who traveled all around the world and he talked about his adventures in Africa. And he would tell of a brave story how he cut off the tail of a man eating a lion. And he would get great applause for the story. People loved it. And until one day, someone came up to him and said, Well, why did you cut off the tail and not the head? And the man replied, because somebody already done that before I got there. (laughs) You see, courage is only courage if you're scared to do it. There can be no courage unless you are scared. Unless there is real danger, unless there is real risk involved. You know, as a Christian, I love the promises of God. I love the promises this book has to offer. But I fail to act on those promises because my fear gets in the way. My fear of man gets in the way, and I end up fearing man rather than fearing God. Can you relate? Today I want to encourage you to courageously trust and exalt Christ, to follow wherever you are after Christ, both through word and through deed, to encourage you to go and tell of the good news that is found in here, to tell of the death and the resurrection of Christ and the life to come. That's my goal. We're going to look at Mark chapter 15, verse 40, and we're going to go from 1540 to 168. And we're going to see how Mark highlights the courage of Joseph of Arimathea. And as you open up there, let me just say a few words about the writer and his writing style. So if you plan to tune me out, right now is the best time. Mark is is writing in a very particular way. Remember, this is the first book written of the New Testament. So as Mark writes, he's very strategic, very tactful as he writes. And what he does is this, he uses this literary style called sandwiching. And I know, I just said sandwich, you're thinking about lunch, and you're going to, come back. And so he he does this with events and accounts. He'll take one event and he'll put another event in between, and then he'll come back to either the same event, talking about the same thing. And we're going to see that in just a little bit. So if you're confused, that's okay, I'll clear it up. We're going to look at these things, about the sandwich as he shows that the, the, the courage of Joseph of Arimathea is what he's trying to highlight. And I'll show you how. 
Now, we can't look at every aspect and every gem that Mark has to offer, but we're going to look at three things. The first thing we're going to look at is how Christ is exalted through courage. How Christ is exalted through the courage of Joseph. How Christ is exalted through care. That's the second thing. He's going to be exalted through the care of Mary, Mary, and Salome, the women. And then Christ is exalted through, third, humiliation. How Christ is exalted through humiliation and the resurrection. Starting at verse 40 of chapter 15. There were also women looking on from a distance. That is, they were looking at the crucifixion of Christ. Among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was, that is Jesus, was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And some translations might say, and they cared for him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage. If you in, underline in your Bibles, you can underline that. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. That is, that Jesus had already died. And he summoned the centurion, which is a Roman guard. He asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him into a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, a very expensive tomb. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, that is, to properly care for the body of Jesus. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us for the of the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. You can underline that. He is not here. See the place where, he, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Did you see the sandwich? Did you see how Mark shows Mary, Mary, and Salome, Joseph, and then Mary, Mary, and Salome? And then he highlights both the fear and the care of the women, and then the courage, then the fear and the care of the women. 
He's highlighting something. You know, he does this, I, I think, for the same reason when I bought my wife an engagement ring. Um, when I bought it, they gave me a gray box. And I didn't like the gray box. Because, let's face it, gray isn't the best color to present a ring. You, you want it to pop out. And I wanted that, that silver ring or white gold or something. It doesn't matter. It, it wasn't yellow. And I wanted it to pop out with a ba- black background because it, it, just, it just has this beautiful look when it, you have the black background. But they didn't give me a black box. So I looked around for weeks until my brother said, I have a black box you can use. And I wanted to open the box for the first time and so she would see it and the ring would pop out and say, say yes. <laughs> and she did, of course. The black box works. If you need one, let me know. And I think that's what Joseph is trying to do. He's, he's, he wants the courage of Joseph to pop out. And he puts this in the background of fear of these women. Now, in verse 40 to 41, we see women were watching from a distance of the crucifixion. It was out of fear of death, not because they couldn't get front row seats. And then he says in verse 42 to verse 46 that Joseph goes to Pilate. He takes courage and goes to Pilate. In verse 47 to 8 of chapter 16, he ends with, and they were afraid. And this leads me to my first point, Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea took a risk. He exalts Christ by believing and trusting Jesus' words, trusting that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, imagine this, this was a real risk for him because he's willing to put his high status and high paying job on the line. He's putting his reputation on the line, risking social rejection and association with a criminal. Not alleged criminal, but a criminal who was convicted and executed for the treason of Caesar. Someone's electrocuted here on the chair and you say, well, do you mind if I have the body? And it's a controversial execution. You're going to get a lot of attention. The media is going to be all over you. That's someone you want to stay away from. Joseph doesn't. He doesn't. See, pointing out Joseph's courage, Mark reminds the reader that courage and conviction are characteristics of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But let us not forget. Let's not not raise Joseph too high. Okay, Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin. This is the same council that brought Jesus before Pilate. Where were you then, Joseph? Now, I don't know if he was on vacation or if he voted against it or if he just abstained. What I do know is that he couldn't take it any longer. If he was silent, he could not be silent any longer. He couldn't allow for Jesus to be thrown in like a dog like in some shallow ditch with other criminals. He wouldn't allow it. He was willing to sacrifice his own grave that he had bought in advance. It takes a lot of money because you have to hire people to carve out this grave out of stone. A lot of time, a lot of money. He also fulfills the prophecy that the Messiah will be buried in a rich man's grave. 
But he's not doing this to fulfill a prophecy. He's doing it out of love for Christ. He is so consumed with Christ, he is not counting the cost. If he is, he says, it's insignificant compared to what? What is his motivation? The kingdom of God is what he was looking for. Anything compared to this kingdom is insignificant. He says, these riches, this security that money can offer, that status and and the approval of man can offer, it is nothing compared to what Christ is and what he has to offer. Did Joseph believe that Jesus is going to be raised right there and then on the third day? I don't know. I don't think so. But I do know that he believed Jesus. I do know that he trusted Jesus. And as you think about this past week, where have you allowed fear of man or fear of the unknown to consume you? You know, when I was moving to Philly, I was talking a lot to Pastor Ernie because there's a lot of fear. But one of the things that encouraged me is, is the push of a beloved brother to say, trust the promise of God. Trust the promises of God. What Joseph shows us is that even when we fall or fail, we still can make our wrongs right through Christ. There is still time. No matter what your wrong was, you can make it right through Christ. The problem is we allow fear to get in the way. We fear man so much because we fear God so little. The problem is we seek man's approval more than we seek the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. Joseph was willing to give up his kingdom of prestige, his kingdom of financial security, because of Christ's kingdom. May God give us an eternal perspective in view as we look and we count the cost. As we look onto the ocean of the unknown, the ocean of what ifs and maybes, and may we say, I trust the promises of God. And may he give us a deep longing for the celestial kingdom of Christ. Now, the women are not left in the dark here. I, I know that there's a contrast that Mark is making with them, but he's not painting them in the bad light. In fact, he's actually lifting them up higher than the apostles themselves here. That leads me to my second point. Christ is exalted through the continual and relentless care of these women. Remember, these women are walking and they're grieving. They are grieving. They have just lost their Lord. And Mark writes in verse 41 that they had cared for him while he was in Galilee. They ministered to him in Galilee where his ministry had begun. And in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 16, they are on their way to do what? To care for the body of Christ. To care for the body of Christ. Mark is writing in a male-dominant culture. But he does not shy away of taking these women as examples. Remember the situation then. This is the first book written. 
He shows the faithful love and care of these women. They were first at the crucifixion. They were there. Verse 40. They were there at the burial. Verse 47. And they were there first to receive the message of the resurrection. Verse 6 of chapter 16. The female disciples of Jesus were relentless in following after Jesus Christ. Were they afraid? Of course they were. It says so right there in the text. Of course they were afraid. Did they run away? No. They followed even from a distance. And I know some of you are afraid to follow. But let me encourage you to at least take this example. At least follow from a distance. Continue to follow. Keep making progress. Martin Luther King Jr. says, if you can fly, then fly. If you can run, then run. If you can crawl, then crawl. But never stop moving forward. Keep moving. Keep following Christ. Mark also points out something very important here, that they were the testimony of the resurrection. They were the first and only primary testimony to the resurrection. If someone wanted to make up a story about the resurrection, in that culture, this would be a very bad move. This would not be wise on Mark's part to use women as the primary testimony of something so vital and so key and so fundamental to Christianity. Because in that culture, the testimony of a woman didn't cost much. It wasn't really valued at all, especially in the court of law. So what he's doing by putting them as the primary testimony, he is himself exemplifying this courage that he's trying to draw out from us. He is trusting the Lord. He is trusting the truth. It is brave testimony of Mark. So if somebody says, well, the Bible was written by, by men who simply wanted power and authority over people. You say, oh yeah? Let me show you a text. And you take it on this text and say, well, what, what about this? If that's what they wanted to do, this would be the worst move ever. Verse 7, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why is Peter being singled out? I think God is showing his posture towards those who have failed. Imagine Peter betrayed his Lord when he said he wouldn't publicly. And he runs away. Imagine this broken man who's just betrayed his Savior. If I was Peter, I'd be hiding somewhere under the table far, far away and hear Christ saying, call Peter. He calls him by name. He says, Peter, come out. I know it hurts. I told you you would do that. I knew this. I knew when I called you that that would happen. You think I don't know your sins? You think I didn't know your past, your present, and your future? I still call you by name. And maybe you can relate to this. You know, when I have a bad week, when I have a, a betraying Peter kind of week, failure after failure, sin after sin, broken, beaten down, the last place I want to go is to the church. But that's exactly where I need to be. 
I need to be among God's people as they gather around Christ. And he says, come on, come here. Come here. Call the disciples and call Peter. I know he's hiding. I know he's in pain. Call him here to me. We need to be exposed to the means of grace. Our bones will rot away. If we are not watered by the word of God, raised up through prayer, and revived by the fellowship of other believers. What helps me to get out of this pond of despondence and despair is to know that he has called me by name. He didn't just say, all ye. He says, you. I want you. And I know you're going to screw up. I know. That's okay. And he calls us to follow. And maybe the most courageous thing you can do today is just be here. And that's, that's as much as you can do, and that's as much as I can ask. And I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're in a season of peace and calm, and you say, I can't, I can't relate to that. I'm doing just fine. Good. That's great. That's fantastic. Share that. Proclaim that, that you are doing well. Be relentless to caring for other people around you that are hurting. Look around. Get out of your bubble. Get out of your comfort zone and say, I want to see who's in pain. Who's not smiling today? I want to go to that person. I want to share the joy of Christ. I want to share this peace, and I want to embrace them. Have them over for a meal. Today, come up to someone and say, do you mind coming over for a meal? I'd love to get to know you better. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Be relentless in your care. Look for the little ways that you can pursue Christ, that you can exalt Christ in the little things. You know, marriage is made up of little things. If I just remember our anniversary or anything like that, it's not enough if I forget to say, I love you, sweetheart. It's not enough if I don't remember to pick up my socks I still have a problem with that. It's the little things that count. And when somebody asks my wife, what is the one thing that you love that your husband does? And I was surprised to hear the answer. She says, because he makes a meal once a week. I try to make a meal on Sunday so that it's easier for her to get the kids ready and the rest. And it's just the same thing every week. Eggs and bacon, that's all I could do. But she, to her, that is so huge. It costs me nothing. Maybe some, some oil paint. I usually let it splatter. But that's okay. And this leads me to my third point. Nothing, none of this courage and none of this care means anything if it's not driven by the love of Christ. And Christ is exalted through the exaltation through this humiliation. Christ is exalted through his humiliation in the resurrection. You know, one of the challenges of a father is, is, is repeating something to their kids again and again. I was teaching my son. Mm-hmm. It, you got to repeat it again and again. If you don't believe me, try to potty train them. I'm teaching my son how to ride a bike, and he, we got it. But it takes a lot of repetition. Just pedal, son. Put one foot at the, after the other. 
And sometimes you'll fall and you pick them up and say, let's keep going. 300 verses in the New Testament alone are concerned with the resurrection of Christ. Christ means to get a point across. If he repeats something 300 times. Why is the resurrection so important? The Apostle Paul summarizes it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. If Christ has not been risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who, who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Bavink, one of my favorite scholars, says it this way. Everything depends on the physical resurrection of Christ. If Christ did not physically rise, then death, then sin, then Satan, who had the power of death, has not been defeated. The significance of the physical resurrection of Christ is inexhaustibly rich. Briefly summarize the resurrection. It is proof of Jesus' Messiahship that he is Christ, that he is Prince of Life and Judge of all. It is proof that he is being, he is the only one who is worthy mediator between man and God. It is proof and guarantee of our forgiveness and justification. It is the fountainhead of numerous spiritual blessings, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of repentance, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation, and its totality. It is the very foundation of Christianity. What if they say the resurrection never happened? You tell them, show me the body. Show me the body. That is proof. Why? Verse 6, the angel says what? He has risen. He is not here. The burden of proof is lying in their court now. He is not here. Verse 6 is the first proclamation of Christ's exaltation. The tension is released there. Christ is vindicated and exalted. You see, we cannot have exaltation without humiliation. We cannot have the crown of glory unless we carry the cross of Christ. To get a feel for this picture, a man on a bungee cord who jumps from a high, high, and he jumps and he goes down and down. And so it is with Christ who has come from infinite to finite, from eternal to temporal, from immutable to mutable, from invisible to visible, from creator to creature, from sustainer down to dependent. The cord is getting tighter and tighter as he goes down lower and lower as he self-humiliates himself. As he comes down from heaven and he crawls down as a child to be taken care of by a woman, to be cared for, fed, and taught. He humbles himself down to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, down to death of a criminal, down from sinlessness to becoming sin for us. Nothing can be lower compared to from the height that he has come. And it was all his own doing. The Pharisees didn't humble him. Pilate didn't humble him. Herod didn't humble him. Christ humbled himself. 
Jesus taking on his, talking about his own body in Mark chapter 14, verse 58. He says, I will destroy this body. I will destroy this temple and I will raise it up again. Jesus, in keeping with his own spiritual law as being the creator of the universe, he establishes a law that is important for us to remember in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Insults mock the Son of God. We sing, the angels are restrained, but all the cup must be endured for sinners to be saved. Can grace prevail in such a day of scandal and of scorn? Do you feel the amplification? Do you feel the tension, the explosive pressure being built up here? And at the perfect will and the perfect time of the Father, he says, release. And Christ is propelled up and is exalted above all others. And the angels sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, and glory, and blessing. In Revelations 5, 12, Christ is worthy above all else. He is only worthy one. Christ is worthy of the highest exaltation because he endured the lowest humiliation. And you know what he does with all of this praise and all of this wisdom and power and glory and honor? He takes it and he gives it to the people. He says, take it. Come after me. I promise you, you will have all of this because I give it to whom I please. And this is what Paul meant. This is what Paul saw so keenly when he writes Philippians 1.20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will one in one way to in no way be ashamed, but will have complete boldness so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And some of you might say, well, I'm not like Paul. I'm not like Joseph. That's not me. That discourages me that there are people so bold and so courageous, so caring and so loving. I, I, that's not me. I love Jesus. I, I can relate more to Peter. I'm constantly in hiding and constantly in pain. Will I be saved? Will I see Christ? Picture two Jews, Samuel and Daniel, having a little discussion in Egypt. Samuel says to Daniel, he says, boy, aren't you a little scared what's going to happen tonight? That the angel of death will come and take the firstborn. And Daniel responds, says, well, haven't you done with the what Moses, the servant of God, has said? Haven't you put, killed the, blam, the lamb and put the blood on the doorstep and the lantern? Haven't you cooked the lamb properly? And haven't you eaten it with your family? Haven't you done that? What's there to be afraid of? Samuel says, well, I, I've done all that, of course. But aren't you a little bit scared of the darkness and the hailstorms and the, the river turning into blood and all? I mean, doesn't that scare you a little bit? I mean, sure, fine. You've got three sons. I've only got the one. I'll just be glad when this night is over. 
Daniel responds, bring it on. I trust in the promise of God. And the angel of death sweeps through Egypt that night. And which one do you think lost his son? The answer, of course, is neither. Because the angel does not pass over on the ground or the intensity of their faith, but on the object of their faith. It is because of the blood of the lamb that he passes over. And when Christ returns and he sweeps over the earth to judge it, he will not pass over those who have put their trust in themselves. He will pass over those and exalt those who have trusted in him. In Christ, in the blood of the Lamb, they have invested, they have given, they have spent and be spent to that kingdom of the Lamb. And we trust the promises of God. We trust the I will statements of Christ. He says, I will destroy, I will raise up. He says again in John chapter 14, verse 3, I will prepare a place for you and I will come back. And as he prepares a place, we live in the day, in an age of preparation for that return as he comes and he will give us an eternal rest, an eternal Sabbath in him. And we look forward to that. We look forward to our own resurrection. We look forward to the promise that he gives in Revelation 21, 4. And he says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or grieving or crying or pain for the former things will pass away. Amen? Amen. And he will make all things new. All things will be new. They will be good. They will be perfect. Christ asks us to give up what we cannot keep, to give us what we cannot lose. Let us boldly exalt Christ wherever we are, through word and through deed, to go and tell others out there. Go tell others of the death and the resurrection and the Sabbath to come. And so there is life. He offers life and he offers it abundantly. Do you not want this? Go and tell and proclaim and exalt Christ wherever you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for life. We thank you for the death and the resurrection. We thank you for the example of your faithful people, Lord, who have fallen, yet you have raised. I pray that you bless us, Lord. Bless us to, to act on these promises, Lord. Help us to live out and live as those who only see your kingdom, who only see Christ before us, to have an eternal perspective, always. Amen.